Welcome to Be the Representation, Episode 1, Innovative Women in STEM. Good day and welcome to Be the Representation. I'm Kanaya, your friendly host for this show. Be the Representation is a new special podcast where we discuss everything regarding our fellow women in the STEM field. I'll be covering many topics in our podcast, including extraordinary contributions women make in the STEM field to becoming the female representation the STEM field needs. So take a look around you. The technology at our disposal, our laptops, TV, the internet. Who is responsible for creating this system? Think about the recent COVID-19 pandemic. Who is responsible for creating healthcare protocols for the public and conducting research on the unknown virus? So these people are part of the STEM field, also known as the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics field. STEM jobs have been projected to have one of the fastest growing fields compared to other disciplines. Projections from the U.S. Department suggested that 9 out of 10 most rapidly growing jobs would require a degree in the STEM field. However, for decades there has been a clear gender gap between men and women in the STEM field, with only a few percentage of women having jobs in the field. As a high schooler in the 21st century world myself, like you guys, I've also been introduced to the notion of STEM being a gender-exclusive field from quite a young age. I was more conscious of my skills in the STEM field, um, seeking for more validations in my abilities. Only when I participated in STEM-supportive activities were my spirits and self-confidence uplifted once more. Yet, that does not compare to many stories I've been told about women's experience in the field. Many women in STEM tend to drop out of higher education or choose an unrelated career to their field, explaining that they felt out of place and have lost self-confidence in their own abilities despite being able to achieve higher grades than their male counterparts. As our podcast, Be the Representation, aims to break down these topics discussed. Our podcast episode today serves uh, to highlight the importance of women in the STEM field and the innovations, innovative contributions women can bring to the field. What's so important with bringing women in the field? What different impact would they have with their contributions? So our topic today is important to address as it highlights how women can actually create innovation and research targeted towards uh, being inclusive to other females with their own experiences. With including and uh, encouraging more women participation, more women will bring ideas inclusive to many different groups of people. In this episode, we'll be joined by a bioengineer, Dr. Fiona Malone. She graduated from the University of Limerick for her undergraduate degree in biomedical engineering in 2014. She then completed her PhD in Galway Mayo Institute of Technology, where she investigated the trajectory paths of blood clots to 3D printed models of ischemic stroke patient vasculatures. Sounds interesting, right? So her list of outstanding work still goes on and on, but she also does work as a science communicator in which she presents her work to the general public. Now, let's move on to the main part of our episode. Let's invite our special guest to heat up our discussion. Welcome to the show, Fiona. Thank you for joining me today in this podcast discussion. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me, Kanaya. I'm really happy to be here. I'm good today. Today is a, it's a lovely Saturday morning in the west of Ireland here. So, um, yeah, it's great. Mm, it's nice. It's already like 7 p.m. here. So, like... <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> the day's over. <laughs> so, like, I'm really thrilled to have you here in my, our first podcast episode, actually. Yeah. So, I'm number one. I'm first. Yeah. So previously in our little monologue, I've been touching up on the this, uh, importance of women contribution in the STEM field. So with your insights, we can further dissect this topic for the audience. So Fiona, you work in the biomedical engineering field. It's a rapidly growing field which uh, combines both biology and engineering to solve problems relating to medicine and healthcare. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. Like it uses like engineering design principles. And if some of our listeners don't get the idea behind it, so let me simplify this for you. So if a patient is in need of, let's say, an artificial organ, uh, biomedical engineers help take care of that. Or if a patient is in need of a medical device, um, uh, biomedical engineers can also take care of that. 
but like that isn't virtually all to the biomedical engineering field. So as it's really a broad field. So some bioengineers deal with the manufacturing of medical devices, some deal with biocompatible materials, which essentially means to create engineered props, um, which can interact with the human body, like prosthetics and all that, and so much more. So you yourself have done multiple interesting projects, such as creating biosimulators used to test medical devices. And so tell us more about what you do. What are some of these problems that you solve and what are some of the unique solutions to these problems? Um, so I do work with biosimulators and for people who don't know or your listeners who don't know what they are, these are essentially robots or robotic um, parts that replicate parts of the body. So for example, if a medical device company was creating a stent for cardiovascular disease, which means um, your arteries in your body are blocked up with all the bad stuff, um, we would create simulators of these arteries in order for the company to test their devices within them. The area that I was studying was the area of stroke and there are two types of stroke. You can have a hemorrhagic stroke or when someone has a hemorrhage which means a blood vessel in their brain has burst and the blood is leaking um, leaking in their brain which means there's no oxygen getting to the brain resulting in a stroke or you can have an ischemic stroke. Um, which is the more popular or the more common of these types of strokes. And uh, what happens with an ischemic stroke is that a blood clot or some other um, body has developed within the patient and has become stuck or lodged within the tiny vessels of their brain, thus stopping oxygen getting to the brain and causing a stroke. And these are known as ischemic. And like I said, they're the most common. And what I was looking at was um, the effects of blood clots on these ischemic strokes that are made within your heart if you have an irregular heartbeat. And the irregular heartbeat I was looking at was called atrial fibrillation. I don't know, have you ever heard of that, but it's a really common irregular heartbeat and can go completely undetected. So people and patients might not know they even have it, Kanaya. Um, and what happens with atrial fibrillation is part of your heart beats out of rhythm or out of time with the other part of your heart, which means your blood stops moving. And we know when blood stops moving, it clots. And then in a single heartbeat, this clot can enter into your system. And what I want to know uh, statistically, why some clots would travel to your head and cause a stroke and other clots don't. Um, so what I did was I would use a technique called 3D printing. Um, and with the 3D printer, I was able to take CT scans from patients who had had these types of strokes and I was able to build their cardiovascular system. So basically I would get their image of a CT and then in a few days I could produce a physical model of their um, blood vessels traveling from their heart to their head. Um, I then hooked that all up into a, a, a flow rig. So I got a pump and I, got, uh, I created a, um, a fluid that mimicked blood and what we did was inserted blood clots into the system and watched where they traveled so I was able to see why ones went to the head and ones clots some clots didn't um, it was a very tricky process uh, quite difficult to create um, a biological system from um non-biological parts as I'm sure you can understand it's hard to try and make things really um, I suppose human-like if that makes sense but um, the blood clots that I created were from uh, cow blood uh, so I would um, be present when cows were being slaughtered to go into the food chain and I would take the blood from those uh, cows uh, and cattle and clot it and then I would watch those blood clots travel around the system. The results showed that if you have an irregular heartbeat, you are 25% more likely to have a stroke, which was um, an incredible statistic to, to experimentally show. We also showed that um, within research and stroke research, it might be obvious to some of your listeners, but you would think that the blood vessels in your brain are really small. So then only small blood clots could get up there. So we're talking millimeters, can I like tiny? But my research shows that um, blood clots up to four centimeters were able to travel around the brain and get stuck. Oh, but like in small 
blood vessels. So like yes. So they were able to like stretch and squish and turn around within the system. They were able to um, change their shape going through this narrower vessels, which um, was quite astounding really to see um, experimentally. And it showed then that the research at the moment out there um, was incorrect in stating that only small vessels cause, or small blood clots rather cause these issues. They can be quite large. We also showed that um, everyone would assume it would be one blood clot that travels and causes the stroke. And I showed that up to five blood clots can travel up at a time, which might um, answer the question of when patients suffer a stroke, as you um, might know yourself, some patients can recover without minimal um, disruption to their standard of living. Other patients can, you know, lose loss of limb function, um, speech, they might lose their memories and things like that. So I think the multiple clot entry into the brain might answer why some strokes are a lot more severe to the patient than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my PhD work. And I finished that in 2018. Um, and then I moved on to my postdoc work, which was working with a medical device company, uh, again, making biosimulators, but this time not to do with the cardiovascular system, but to do with the esophageal system. So your esophagus, the tube that you uh, use to swallow your food. Yeah, exactly. Which was a much bigger challenge, as you can understand. Um, it's a different motion. It's a different body part. We're not dealing with blood vessels. We're now dealing with um, esophageal tissue. So it produced its own uh, difficulties within the situation. And I moved kind of into the world of soft robotics. I don't know. Do you know much about soft robotics? I care to explain what it is about. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a it's a relatively new um science in robotics. Um, Some robotics experts now might disagree with me there, but uh, in terms of medical devices, uh, soft robotics is a little bit different to um, your classical robotics that we think of with metal bars and wires and electronics and electrical circuits. Whereas with bio, um, sorry, excuse me, soft robotics, you would be using really soft materials like silicones and rubbers and jelly. Um, And you would be inflating them with the fluid like air or water or saline or something. And as you inflate them, they'd change shape. And as you deflate them, them, they change shape uh, in a much more fluid motion compared to a rigid robot, if that makes sense, Um, which was something that we were um, very keen to use as the esophagus um, displays a motion called peristaltic motion which is a constant exactly yeah it's a constant wave motion the whole time yeah yeah exactly so with the inflating and deflating we'd be able to um, create that wave-like motion um I finished that uh, or postdoc and I brought it to a stage where there's a person currently um bringing it to the next stage now and I'm currently uh, lecturing within the mechanical and industrial engineering department in Galway Mayo Institute of Technology, GMIT, in Ireland at the moment. Um, And obviously with COVID-19 and things like that research, um, in terms of my research, um, it has a little bit of a a stall on it at the moment, but I'm very happy to be teaching um, as well. It's a nice change. Mm Well, that's really interesting. Like, I guess uh, about like the esophagus, um, the esophagus robot, like what was so important with like investigating like the esophagus? Why did you need to use like, especially with the soft robotics thing, what was so interesting? Like what, did, uh, what, 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 what caught um, your attention? Like, oh, I should, we should use like this um, concept of soft robotics to like um, simulate the movements of the um, esophagus. What was so important about that? Like. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. That's a great question. So the company I was working with were designing a medical device to treat dysphagia. Um, Dysphagia is a really horrible, horrible um, disease for anyone that has it. Very common in patients who are um, suffering from cancer, in treatment for cancer, um, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, any kind of neurodegenerative disease. Um, And what happens, Kanaya, is that your food tube or your esophagus stops working 
um, and the motion, two things could happen. Either all your saliva would dry up and your mouth can't produce that anymore. So it's very hard for the food to slide down um, or and or I should say um, yeah. the motion of that peristaltic motion. So it's kind of like, do you know your tube of toothpaste and you're trying to push the toothpaste out of the tube? That's kind of how your esophagus works in that once your food hits your throat, it starts pushing the food down to your stomach. Um, and with people who have dysphagia, that doesn't work anymore and it either gets stuck or it becomes uncomfortable. Um, and it's a really horrible disease. The treatment or the current treatment for this, um, Kanaya, is a stent. OK, it's a really, really big stent. It's quite big. You can imagine something like that. Um, this is just a tube of multivitamins, but it's quite it's quite that size. Um, for your listeners, I just took a tube of Baraka tablets, if anyone is looking, but it's, it's quite um, it's quite difficult uh, to insert it in the patient and then for it to remain within the patient. Because as you said yourself, peristalsis is constantly moving. And we know that even if we put in a sweet or a chewing gum into our mouth, your esophagus and your stomach, you're ready to go for food. It wants to, it wants to bring the food to your stomach. Um, so if you've put a stent in here, your body doesn't realize that it's not food and it keeps trying to push the stent down. And what happens in some patient cases is the stent becomes dislodged and then travels towards their stomach, which causes a, a much bigger problem, as you can imagine, for the patient. So um, the aim of the biosimulator was to understand what was going on within the peristaltic motion and what causes the stent to dislodge so that the company could then make design revisions on their esophageal stents. Um, very difficult project, but incredibly interesting. Mm, that sounds really interesting, like helping out with this, like unheard. I didn't, I don't even know about this until like now you told me about it. So yeah, that was really interesting to think about, like you're trying to solve like um, health problems with the help of technology. So exactly. Yeah, right. So now what's a like current goal that you have in work that you're focusing on right now? Is there any like, um, anything you're focusing on right now? Yeah, so currently at the moment I am looking, um, I'm not looking, I'm actually in the middle of it. I'm studying a certificate in teaching and learning and um, mentorship for people within STEM. Uh, so I took my teaching post, I'd say maybe 18 months ago now. And um, as part of that, we we're all upskilling um, obviously, I'm a qualified biomedical engineer and now I'm learning to teach, which is great. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And there's also an area within it where you learn to become effective mentors and mentorship for people within STEM, which I think uh, you might be quite interested in <laughs> uh, regarding your podcast here, which I think is a great idea. Um, I'm hoping to um, in 2021 to kind of pick up the research uh, the research again with um, obviously COVID-19 and hopefully things um, returning to a, a better model uh, in our learning environment. But um, I am also working with a company who are designing um, sportswear for women post-pregnancy returning to uh, training and running. Um, it might be an area that you don't think biomedical engineering would be important, but it's actually particularly important. Not only do we work with um, hospitals and doctors and surgeons and medical device companies we also can work quite closely with physiotherapists and occupational therapists um, to help design um, tools clothing fitness wear um, for these uh, clients so enlighten me what was so interesting about biomedical engineering that you chose it as a career um so I, I didn't always want to be an engineer. I suppose it only kind of came to the forefront of my mind, maybe when I was about 17 or 18. Um, I went to a talk that was held by a, a, a university close by um, our school and um, a medical physicist and a biomedical engineer were giving a talk on um, their work. And I just found it so interesting. And an area that they were um, kind of talking about a lot within it is um, how creative 
the career can be which really spoke to me because I'm very interested in art and I love painting and drawing in my spare time and I always wanted to try and use all of my um, interests and talents um, wherever I you know wherever I was going to end up working Um, and they're so right because even though I might not be using a paintbrush and painting a picture every day in work I am using that creative side of my brain to come up with new ideas, create technical drawings, um, make the biosimulators look good. And I think it's an important part of engineering as well, that not only do you understand the functionality of what you're working with, but it also looks attractive to the person that wants to buy it or work with it as well. So I think it's um, an important aspect of, of engineering and biomedical engineering in particular, because it can get very, um, if you're working with companies and medical devices, it can get very, um, uh, it can come down to how a product looks compared to another product on the market. And that's why the, the surgeon or the clinician is going to choose yours, if that makes, that makes a bit of sense. Design is also the creating of the product because you're competing with other exactly. companies too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so, uh, like thinking about like talking about how captivating um, um, the biomedical engineering is and like what made you chose it as a career. Is there another kind of sort of motive that you have that led you to the STEM field in general? Is there anything? I've always had an interest in, in STEM, mathematics in particular. And I think what I do enjoy about the STEM career is that it, at the end of the day, you're helping someone. Um, you might not be sitting in the hospital with the patient but it's always nice to know when you go home from work at the end of the day that your work has contributed to improving the health of someone improving the lifestyle of someone and it could be someone you know um i think we all have um family members or friends that are going through um different medical procedures or um living with certain illness uh, ailments or diseases and it's always nice to know that um at the end of your day that you might have contributed to making um their lives a little bit easier yeah that's true like i'm also actually interested in biomedical engineering as said and i thought like um if i i'm too i i said i i used to want to be a doctor too mm. and i said i was personally kind of like scared of like handling with patients directly and i just like uh like discovered biomedical engineering and i was like oh you could actually help people without actually like helping them but like and like I also thought like how um actually without the biomedical engineering would you say like medicine wouldn't actually advance that much I would totally agree and I actually you know being in hospitals and meeting different people that work in the medical field they always are astounded by biomedical engineering and they do recognize that without our creative um, designs, be it in medical devices or in the surgery procedures itself, um, there wouldn't be as many advancements within medicine. No, I do believe. I do believe we're quite important in that sense. <laughs> yeah, so um, is there also a, a female scientist or inventor that she became your role model or just like someone that you look up to like in uh, your life? Um, I suppose it was hard to kind of see a role model when I started out maybe 10, 12 years ago um, in that there wasn't many uh, female role models within my area. But now that I'm um, in it for a lot longer, um, there is a, a professor in in the in the area that I'm working in now, Professor Leisha McNamara an Irish woman and she works in the area of orthopedics and, and bone reconstruction um, and she would be a role model of mine I think how she balances her research work with her teaching is exceptional there's also another woman that I've never met uh, but I've read stories about her and she sounds amazing her name is Barbara Beskind or Beeskind, uh, B-S-K-I-N-D if you want to google her later um, she was never able to study science or engineering um, when she was younger. So she must be in her 90s now. Um, So she had to join the army in order to enter um, engineering and design that way. She is now still an inventor, inventing things for people, um, elderly people in America. um, And she's in her 90s and she's still working to make their lives 
I know, amazing to make their lives better and easier. And I think she's such an inspiration that no matter what age you are or gender you are or your background or what you um, what difficulties you had to overcome, there's still a place for you at the table in science, especially in um, the area of inventing as well, which I think um, women are underrepresented in that area as well. So I think she's incredibly um, inspirational. So um, um, how has your uh, work in biomedical engineering actually contributed to the continuing advancement of the health sector? So the work I did, I suppose, for my PhD, which was the stroke research, um, I have published in both medical and engineering journals in continuing the advancement of uh, looking at blood clots that cause ischemic stroke um, in terms of the uh, esophageal biosimulator um, that's, that's being used to improve the design and manufacture of esophageal stents. So I might be a small contribution, but it is um, a contribution nonetheless. Uh, well, contributions never not important. It's always exactly. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Like they always contribute to like a bigger goal. Right? So it's always not important. So basically, uh, um, we're going to talk about like uh, more about statistics in women in STEM. So um, a data study conducted in 2017 by H E H E C S A from the UK concluded that 35% of STEM undergraduates were women. So I think a closer look at these subjects, the highest percentage of women in the subject comes from physical sciences in which women make up only 39% of the subject. And in the same year, women make 23% of the STEM workforce. So technically this data can be translated to like the global representation of women in the STEM field since like a wide gap uh, gender gap can be seen through these statistics. So like based on these statistics, what can you say about the representation of women in the STEM field? Um, I totally agree with your statistics. Um, I, I keep an eye on the Irish numbers as well, obviously, because I'm from Ireland, but you're right in saying that um, they can be applied on a global scale. I think the last statistic that I was reading about women within the STEM area was, um, so in education, in Ireland, you have what is called a junior certificate, which would be a state examination you would take at maybe 15, 16. And then, um, and at that, uh, they did a study on that two years ago and almost 50% of science students, so students that took science for that exam, uh, it was pretty much 50-50 women, or girls versus boys which I think is a great statistic. That means half of us, you know, made up the examination um, uh, population. But that dropped significantly then. So two years later, after you sit that first state exam, you sit your final one, which is called a leaving certificate. And in Ireland, that's your exam, your examination to get into college. Um, and you can pick different subjects. So you can drop science if you, if you want to. So there was a massive drop in science the majority of the girls that had studied science at 15 uh, kept on biology, but they dropped physics and chemistry. Um, and I think it was something like only 20% of the students that sat the physics examination were girls. Um, those then that studied it tend to go on to university level to study it. So that's a small minority. But then in the workforce in Ireland, only 25% of the STEM workforce are women which is um, pretty low. That's one quarter. Um, there are probably a lot of reasons to that, Kanaya. Um, there was another study published in Ireland last year, which talked about gender bias. I'm sure you know what that is, where um, inside of our brains, we make assumptions about people based on their gender, whether they're male or female or a boy or a girl. And and the study in Ireland showed that children as young as five are making uh, gender biases uh, about women in STEM straight away. So what the study uh, asked the children to do was to draw a picture of an engineer. And up to 90% of the boys drew a man and only 50% of the girls drew a woman. So um, that just goes to show that at the age so young at five that you think an engineer or a scientist is a man and that um, women generally aren't. 
in the STEM field, which I think is very disappointing. Yeah, I remember like I was I remember like watching a TED Talk video like um, there was this um, the, like a CEO uh, a woman CEO uh, she I think she made like a, like uh, toys for uh, for girls she at first she asked the audience to like describe what they think an engineer is right and then like um, a lot of people thought oh yeah I think it's just like someone working with like machines or like a Steve Jobs kind of, yeah, mm. Steve Jobs kind of guy but then like when she asked if anyone of like a woman no one answered so yeah the perception of like um engineers like that the, they're just generally just men like that's that has to be changed am i right so yeah so like many people choose to neglect these statistics that um behind the women underrepresentation. like i've met multiple people dismissing the idea that statistics representation of women aren't that important they're like oh yeah and what if you know, like, what if women were actually, like, just underrepresented? Like, that's it, right? Like, there's nothing going to be, that's nothing, it's not going to affect the field in a whole, like, generally. So, yeah, we've heard multiple suggestions of how women were not designed for the field, but, like, women actually really have contributed a lot to the development of science technology. I can list, like, amazing, amazing women off the bat. Mary Curie, Rosalind Franklin, Katherine Johnson, Fiona Miller, yeah. <laughs> You're so kind. On and on. So according to you, how would you say women's contribution in the field have created a more inclusive world? Um, yeah, they have to. Um, I think under underrepresentation of women within STEM, it what it does is it completely halves our population pool of creativity within STEM or um uh talent within STEM so think about it if you've got a hundred people 50 men and 50 women and you want the best team to design your medical device or build a bridge or whatever your engineering task is and if you don't think engineers should be women you've now halved your pool of people that you're going to pull from in that pool, you could have had Marie Curie's. You could have had Nora Patton. So Nora is um, from Ireland and she's going to, she wants to be an astronaut. She's incredible. Dr. Neve Shaw in, in Ireland, she is um, an engineer and a scientist, but she's also an artist trying to describe science through art, which I think is a phenomenal, um, a phenomenal uh, task. Dr. Jessamine Fairfield, she's an American physicist now living in Ireland and she works with nano uh, technology. She's also a comedian and she describes science and life as a scientist through humor. Um, and if you don't believe that these women should be part of uh, STEM, you're never going to get these incredible minds solving the problems of our future, which I think is such a shame. Um, and I do, it does, it is disappointing. I, I feel sad sometimes talking about these things because it's 2020, we're nearly in 2021 and we still have to have these conversations. Um, but I, I do believe it will get better. But uh, sometimes, yeah, I agree. People don't want to acknowledge the statistics or the, the facts of um, uh, gender discrimination and bias within STEM. But I, I do try and change the conversation now, Kanaya, in not showing them the, what the not showing them that they're wrong to believe that, but showing them what they're missing out by not including us, um, which I think is um, a greater a greater problem so is there like a specific case in which you created like an inclusive like innovation or research for your work like did you like have you ever designed something that was like specifically like targeted to like include women or maybe like other like um groups in need such as like maybe the less um, fortunate or like minority groups in general um um i i did mention earlier that i'm i'm kind of part working with a, a startup company dedicated to uh, post-pregnancy women and where it stems from Kanaya is that women's health is one of the most under-researched area within um, medicine and when I say women's health I mean anything kind of gynecological um, uh, reproductive or anything to do with urinary incontinence um, incredibly under-researched area and the ways in which doctors and surgeons treat these um, 
I won't call them diseases, but maybe um, changes within their body after, you know, after women hit a certain age, things can change naturally within your body and you need different um, supports within that to have a good standard of living. And if um, the solutions to these problems, so if you take urinary incontinence or if you take vaginal prolapse, which is where the walls and the muscles in your pelvic floor have weakened over time, it can be as a result of pregnancy and, and childbirth, or it can just be a, a result of um, a weakening of muscles that would naturally happen in anyone as they grow older. And what can happen is the pelvic um, floor muscles can drop and, and this can cause a lot of pain. It can be discomforting if the, um, the, vagina, the vagina is now falling out of, um, out of the body. And the only solution in some cases is to just remove it mm. and remove um, you know your womb and things like that and in 2020 there should be better options than um, a, a full surgery do you know um, and in terms of urinary incontinence so that means if your bladder is leaking as you you know if you cough or laugh or if you're doing high extreme exercise um, and you can see it sometimes when uh, women are uh, performing exercises and they're either running or lifting weights and they think it's natural to to wet themselves that's not natural and you shouldn't have to put up with that and there should be supports and devices there to help you have a better standing standard of living um especially in 2020 like um it's incredible you can take things like childbirth in some countries it can be the most dangerous thing a woman has to go through um which is incredible and biomedical engineers um, can definitely help to improve those situations for women and it is an area I'd love to be involved in the company that I'm working with or um, I'm involved with I should say um, she is the um, EVB sports she is creating um, active wear that supports women's um, pelvic floors uh, when they exercise so they don't wet themselves when they run or uh, lift weights or do the work in the gym and they're just like leggings Kanaya, but they're just supported and reinforced around your tummy and your um, bum area so that everything is just lifted a little bit and such a, a, an incredible idea gives so much support to thousands of women um, across Ireland I can only imagine once the company gets bigger the impact it's going to have on um on the rest of the population women make up 50 percent of the world's population i think it might actually be 51 there might be more of us um but uh we make up 50 percent of the world's population but the medical research doesn't support us um i heard a really interesting talk actually from a friend of mine um andrew mcgivern he's in uh limerick he did does research on medicine and uh, the relationship between medicine and gender. And he shows that uh, the majority of medical studies carried out for, um, we'll say, pharmaceutical drugs, mm -hmm. they're usually just tested on men, but not women. But that doesn't really make sense, though, because like women always go through like these childbirth things and they have like more like um, medical problems. I'm, I'm sure yeah. like problems than like men like then why are they like focusing more onto these like um the on men instead of women actually yeah i don't know and i, I there is something my mom always used to say <laughs> my mom always says to me she goes um if if men were getting pregnant and had to go through a childbirth you can bet your you you can bet yourself that it would uh definitely be a much better procedure than it is right now for the majority of people across the world and and if urinary incontinence was a male problem it would have been solved a long time ago and I, I know that can be a very biased view of men and women in general but the, the, the data is there and the research is there to show that women are almost forgotten about um, in the medical world at times, which you are totally right in saying, which is such a disappointment because we probably do avail of a lot more medical support and procedures throughout our lives. And we also live longer too. Yeah, that's, that's really, uh, I, I don't know what else to say. Like that's so... I feel like I'm ruining your evening. I'm very sorry. <laughs> the fact that women, literally women 
are the one like giving out childbirth, giving out like we have like we have many like many medical complications, and yet they're still focusing on uh, the fact that um, um, men like just like focusing on like designing drugs um, towards men. As you said before, yeah, I, I get, I absolutely agree with that. Because like, if if men were just like um, the one getting pregnant, everything would have been like, oh, um, society would have advanced. Like, because seeing that like, you know, men like are like the dominant majority. So they'd obviously have like most control over like anything. And if they're the one experiencing, uh, experiencing pregnancy and all that, I bet like a lot of things would have changed, you know. So, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. And I think, yeah, exactly. And I think I, I do laugh sometimes when my mom says that, but she's not wrong. <laughs> I don't think she's wrong. I think um, it, it's unfortunate. And look, it's it's sometimes we have to deal with difficult situations like this with a little bit of humor, but um, it doesn't take away from the research and the, the data is there. Um, and sometimes with women's health, it doesn't need to be... Um, obviously childbirth is is a, a massive thing that women go through but even like the company that um I sometimes help and support um in terms of making a women comfortable going to the gym and working out um or making women comfortable breastfeeding and, and creating clothes and things for that and making it structurally and designed functionally um is where biomedical engineers can come in too so it's so broad this area and we can um definitely I do feel now I'm I'm 30 now and I do feel that um it is my responsibility to support these women and use my um my in my brain (laughs) my design brain and try and work on these areas where um there is a need for these designs you know, I think it's really important. And I, I am hoping to move into that area more uh, prominently in the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. So you've heard it here first. <laughs> okay, so um, would you also say that the experiences women have in the STEM field and like like consideration of like helping other women and I, other minority groups in society help create the difference between women's contribution and men's contribution? Like um, saying I've heard, I've like, um, I came across some like research going like um, women are more interested in like helping out like problems in society while men are more, let's say like more interested in like developing the features of like technology and all that. What would you say about that? Is that? Possible? I think that's, I think that's interesting. Um, I'm not sure if then if we are saying that women are more caring and want to work in a more supportive environment uh, as opposed to men who uh, typically want to um, you know make money or um, uh, improve design I don't know does that mean then can I we're following in or falling into a gender bias of our own um, (laughs) where we are assuming that women are more caring versus male engineers who might be um, in it for different reasons so I will be quite um, reflective on that question because I don't want to be portraying something that would be have been portrayed on me that I don't fully agree with either. So I think that's interesting. Um, I think what I can comment on is that having more diversity and we'll say adding more women to the um, the table in STEM and adding more diversity of people in general of all genders from different countries, backgrounds, ethnicities sexualities um, gender identification I think what that does is add a much more rounded approach to design so not only do you get the idea of being more supportive but there could be someone at the table who is interested in creating um, financial improvement you could have someone who's interested in creating design and accessibility for all people of all abilities Um, so I wouldn't say it's based on gender but I do feel if you're um research group or the people who are tackling the problem within science technology engineering and maths if that group isn't diverse then you're not going to get the best result or answer or solution to your problem because in order for a big problem to be tackled like something like um um we could take women and childbirth we need to in account where that woman is from where does she live what are her abilities um potential disabilities things like that um 
financial situations and all of that then will help us to create better situations uh, and solutions to these problems. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, because not necessarily all men are just because like they're interested in the features and stuff. Like some of them actually are interested in helping. But, of course. Yeah, some of the research are just like generally like you know um, like uh, conclusively like summarized, I guess. Um, but yeah, not necessarily all men are also like interested in just like the designs and all that. Yeah, and not all women are happy to to be helping people some of them can be very have different roles within your organization or your um your panel or your discussion team whatever you're working in and to have a more rounded approach to your solution you need more rounded people i think so uh, yeah so we're seeing like interesting inside owen's contribution to stem field and it's really brilliant how much women can contribute to stem field um, yet, referring to the previous data that I presented before, we still see a lot of underrepresentation of women in the STEM field. So, um, because you mentioned, like, we already seen, like, you mentioned, like, oh, yeah, because we need more women because we need to think about, like, consider, like, um, consider, like, um, including women in, like, the um, research of drugs, so then we could be more considerate towards their um, uh, conditions and, like, the um, medical problems that they face, but still, we still see a lot of underrepresentation in the STEM field. So what would you say are the main barriers in hindering a growing female representation? Does, like, would you say a preset mindset have to do something with this? Or... Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. Um, there can, there's a few probably reasons why um, there's an underrepresentation of STEM. And like we said earlier, it can occur as early as childhood. Um, it can be a, a preset mindset that they've picked up maybe from their environment, depending on um, their family experiences. And sometimes then you could be growing up in, in an incredibly equality driven and diverse household. And it can be an external source then from something that the child or the student sees in the media or from their peers or their friends. Maybe it's something like, oh, science isn't cool. Or in, in terms of today, it could be something like, oh, we don't trust scientists because they created COVID. And so um, why would you go and work in science? And all of that is, is not fact, but it can incur um, very uh, strong opinions in people and make them think that they can't be involved um, in STEM, which is very disappointing. There's also the idea that there isn't probably enough role models um, willing to stand up on behalf of women within STEM. Um, I am a firm believer of if she can't see, she can't be. So if someone doesn't see someone working within STEM, be it um, a chemist, a scientist, a pharmacist, a doctor, a biomedical engineer, um, a mathematician, if you don't see someone that looks like you doing that, then you may never realize that you could have the potential to do it too. Um, so I do think podcasts like this and, and getting out there and supporting um, incredible students like yourself, Kanaya, if you don't ever want to be a biomedical engineer, that's totally fine. But um, I, I think it's important to just tell people what you do and why you do it. And I think at least it can uh, start conversations. Um, one final thing on that as well, you don't need to be a, an absolute rock star, superstar to be someone's hero within STEM. I'm very, um, very much an advocate for the everyday hero. So um, it might be your, your mom, it might be your aunt, it could be a cousin of yours, it could be your mom's friend. And you know that maybe they work in medical devices and these devices help people. Maybe you know someone that's a nurse and um, they could do with a um, you know support within their area maybe you know someone that does a job that you think is really cool that yeah. that's amazing uh, and those people can be your role models it doesn't need to be you know an absolute superstar it could be someone that lives down the road from you um, and I think that's important sadly our discussion has to come to an end no <laughs> So before we close our discussion, my next question comes from one of um, our audience. So our question today comes from Alia, who's 15 years old, and she asks, what advice would you give to girls who are looking to find a career related to STEM? 
Uh, my advice, uh, hi Alia, uh, my advice to any uh, young student that is interested in, in maybe pursuing a career in STEM is to look at what you like doing and where your interests lie. So for me, when I was a student, I really like art and design. I really enjoyed doing mathematics in school and I enjoyed experiments in science. And I aligned what I liked to a career or um, um, a degree in university where I could apply those things. Because I do believe if you are doing something you like every day, um, you won't find it too difficult and you'll always enjoy it. I'd also say don't feel pressured to make any decision that you don't feel comfortable making and always trust your gut because your gut knows everything. Um, I always trust my gut. If I don't think um, a decision is uh, appropriate for me, I listen to what my gut says. And uh, my final piece of advice is... Um, to, tr to trust yourself as well you know what you want to do um, and if you don't that's okay too there's not one way um, to reach your destination so have your goal in mind and maybe your degree or your career in mind but be very open-minded about how you get there maybe you might not um, do so well in an exam it's not the end of the world you can take it again or do a different one there's lots of different ways to get to where you want to be maybe um, university isn't for you and you uh, want to go work in an area instead and, and move your way up the ladder that way but um, your goal can always be the same but your path can change so that's my advice. Thank you so much Fiona. You heard that Alia so you got your answer already from one and only Fiona. Yep so that concludes our little talk so thank you so much Fiona for joining me today. So before we close our discussion is there anything else that you would like to say for the listeners? Um I, I, no, not really. <laughs> I think we spoke quite a lot. Um, if anyone wants to follow me, you can find me at Twitter um, at Miona underscore Falone. So I drop my, I swap my M and my F, um, but I can give it to Kanaya here in the show notes or anything like that. And if anyone has any other questions or they want to chat privately or whatever, um, feel free to, to contact Kanaya and uh, she can put you in contact with me. That's absolutely no problem um stay safe and be happy <laughs> that's uh, my wish for everyone for 2020 and 2021 once again thank you so much fiona it's been truly an honor talking to you so there's so much to take away from our discussion and i hope that our audience is all are also fired up by the heat of discussion so yeah in our next episode we'll be picking up where we left off from this episode as we further explore the barriers women face in the stem field once again i'm your host kanaya and see you in the next episode of be the representation